listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Over the past few years, you've heard me and my colleagues at MI3 banging on about this tension that exists between hyper-personalised ads, behavioural targeting and privacy. The industry has long argued consumers love personalised advertising that speaks to them on an individual level. Yet, survey after survey shows people don't want to be tracked to the degree that has become the norm. One consumer research centre in Victoria found 94% of Australian consumers are uncomfortable with how their personal information is collected and shared online, but 88% don't understand how it works. The other 6% are probably lying. 85% of users believe platforms should only collect information needed to provide their products and services, according to the ACCC. Our guest today has spent a lot of his time in recent years arguing that most of what the ad tech industry does is illegal, specifically behavioural targeting, even more specifically real-time bidding or RTB, as the industry uh, calls it. The process that takes place in the nanosecond when the ads load on a website. Dr. Johnny Ryan is a senior fellow at the Irish Council for Civil, Civil Liberties, a former chief policy and IR officer at the web browser Brave, and a former ad tech insider. He describes RTB as, quote, the world's biggest data breach and has launched a lawsuit against the IAB Tech Lab in Europe to take it on. Every day, the argument goes, hundreds of billions of pieces of data that can contain internet users' mental health conditions, financial situation, income, sexual orientation, political views, GPS coordinates, and even whether your child has special needs, are automatically collected and shared with any number of companies bidding to put an ad in front of you. One company involved in the RTB process, for example, says it shares user data with up to 1,600 other companies in that process. Dr. Ryan describes these secret dossiers constitute a breach of Europe's GDPR laws, which has specific rules for the purpose of data that is collected. So get your boots on for this one. Uh, we have an NGO that has launched a legal suit against the IAB, and we're going to work out and hear from uh, Dr. Johnny Ryan as to why. Welcome, Johnny, all the way from Ireland. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paul. Good to be with you. For the audience in Australia, our listeners in Australia, who are probably not even aware that you've, um, you've got a, a case, a lawsuit in Europe against the IAB Tech Lab, it's a big deal. Give us a sense of this case. What's the idea and scope behind it and why are you taking it to court in Hamburg? The target of the case is IAB Tech Lab. I expect that all of your listeners are familiar with IAB Tech Lab, but let me summarise the situation anyway. Uh, when I worked for an ad tech company called PageFair some years ago, I uh, was a member of Tech Lab. I knew the people involved. I was on one or two working groups. Tech Lab is the standard setting body that the entire global advertising industry on the technical side uh, uses to coordinate. So IAB Tech Lab uh, defines what the rules are for the industry, how it will do things like measure um, that an ad has been seen or what the format of a video ad should be and so on. It's, it's dry, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's pretty dry but it has profound, very profound consequences. Now, Tech Lab is controlled by IAB Incorporated. So if you look at their articles of uh, association, you'll see that 
um, I'm doing this from memory, but the CEO of IAB is automatically the CEO of Tech Lab, for example. There's plenty of ties like that between them. So it's not exactly independent, although it claims to be. And you'll see on many groups that um, uh, Tech Lab working groups are often uh, strongly represented by um, technology firms, including, of course, the big ones. Um, but there'll be a smattering of publishers here and there as well involved too. Now, the lawsuit taking aim at the global industry, everyone in the industry, without exception, but it's not going after those players firsthand. It's saying, all of you use these standards, which are defined for you, and often with your participation, by IAB Tech Lab. Instead of going after thousands of companies that participate in a massive data free-for-all, we are going after the standard setter, which sets the rules for all of those companies. And the reason why we're doing this in Hamburg is an answer to a what might seem like a tricky question. How do you enforce European data protection law, which is strong, even though it's not enforced? How do you enforce European data protection law against a body that is based in New York in the United States. There are several ways to do so, um, but one way is to find uh, a European office of that body, its main establishment in Europe, um, and to say, okay, here's where your main establishment is. That's the place where we will litigate. And the GDPR has what's called an extraterritoriality. That means it applies outside of Europe if Europeans' data is being processed. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world, but if I'm sitting in Dublin and you're processing my data, the GDPR holds you accountable. That's just the way it has to be for obvious and logical reasons. If you happen to have a main establishment in a European uh, city, well, that's easily the best place to litigate against you. So we have an excellent law firm in Hamburg. They're experienced in this area. It so happens that Xander has an office in Hamburg, and it so happens that when I went out doing a vanity search uh, for my name and real-time bidding to see what the latest coverage was, there was a website called onlinemarketing.de, so a small blog about ad tech, and um, it's based in Hamburg too, and it was covering some of my RTB campaigning, and on that page... Xander was present, ad form, all of the usual suspects, and they were using the IAB uh, rules. So the, the case covers three primary things. One is the open RTB protocol. These are the rules that define what can be sent about you, Paul, when you use an app or a website and the app or website wants to fill one of the rectangles around the editorial with an ad. What information can we send out about Paul? The second um, thing that the suit is taking aim at is the audience taxonomy. The audience taxonomy is the, the rule book, really, for the online data broker industry. It has about 1,600 uh, codes that define characteristics of a person. And using those codes, one can very efficiently, I mean, you can see why data brokers would need this, one can very efficiently trade um, large troves of data about large numbers of people. And some of those codes are quite startling, <laughs> the kind of characteristics 
um, that can be recorded about you. We might talk about that a little bit more later. And the third element in the lawsuit is the content or context taxonomy. This is um, something that might in some contexts seem eminently sensible. Uh, when I was at the Irish Times, for example, I can well imagine that it would make sense for the Irish Times to categorise an article about golf as being about golf. That makes sense for our own database. The problem is that those categories, which could include things like cancer <laughs> or um, incest slash abuse support, that's another one I'm quoting verbatim, uh, those categories about what I am reading right now are also um, allowed to be sent in a broadcast about you in the open RTB protocol. So what we're trying to do is, is attack two sides of a dangerous machine. One side is broadcasting to thousands of companies what everyone on the internet is watching and reading and listening to at this moment, literally. And that those data are being thrown out to God knows who. We don't know what God knows who then does with them. So just let me ask though, Johnny, um, so just, just to be clear, though, it, when you're talking about this, this is covered uh, in GDPR. The issue you've got is not with GDPR, for one, it's it's with the enforcement of it. And these, uh, you are arguing, are breaches of GDPR, what you're talking about now and what the IAB standards allow or recommend uh, or are set down. Is this, is, this where, is this the crux of the issue? Yeah, I've, I have no problem with the GDPR. Uh, the law is, um, is, is fine. What we're taking issue with, and we're using the GDPR to do it, as I said, on the one hand, there's the huge data breach, the broadcast about what everyone's doing. And on the other hand, what happens to those data, the fact that they are put into profiles about us and the system that supports that trade. We're going after both of those things using the GDPR. Now, people think the GDPR is very complicated, but it actually isn't. It's about 90,000 words. But the entire thing is summarized in about a page of text in Article 5. Article 5 of the GDPR sets out all of the principles of data protection. There's only a few of them. One of them is security. And the hint was in the name, Paul, general mm. data protection regulation. If you can't protect the data, you can't use the data. <laughs> That's the whole idea. Right. So data free-for-alls aren't allowed. It's a really simple I mean, it's a it's a completely common sense idea. But you think that is absolutely the antithesis of that is happening. There is a free for all. There is a broadcast of individual data in this real time bidding. So, actually, before we get there, so what's your problem with RTB? It's it gosh, it's a big driver of 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 so much of the uh, of the of the online advertising industry is RTB. Less so, interestingly, in Australia than say the US. It's still big, but the US is a much higher proportion of RTB based advertising than what we see in Australia. I'm not sure how it is in, in Ireland or the UK. But the problem with RTB that you have then is 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 that the broadcasting it's broadcasting in breach of GDPR of personal information. Well, I have several problems, but they're all fruit of that poisonous tree, yes. The problem with GDPR, uh, and there are several, they all come, they're all fruit of the same tree. Uh, the poisonous tree, in this case, is that there's an enormous data breach. There's no security over the data. You might be confronted by a piece of consent spam. It's meaningless. And it'll say the following several hundred companies will get your data. But there's no control over what those companies then do with the data. So it's, it's a free-for-all. There's no guarantees about security. 
but also um i think if i were a publisher i would have massive problems with with real-time bidding too uh, there's a few to name first if you go to a legitimate high-end publisher and you spend time reading about business and then read reviews of expensive cars it is clear uh, that expensive car ads or ads for pensions and so on might be shown to you, right? You're a ABC1 auto intender. You're exactly what every, every car advertiser wants to show expensive video ads to. Now, that publisher might be very important for the life of your nation, their, their continuation and feeding their newsroom. But unfortunately, when the publisher decides to use real-time bidding to show ads to you, what they are doing is they are telling a whole lot of, of intermediary companies, of technology companies, this person, ABC 23451, whatever the idea is on you, this individual is a high-end auto intender who reads about business, wants an executive saloon car, maybe an electric one, and um, they also read, you know, the Daily Bugle. All of those intermediaries are then in a position to re-identify you when you go to conspiracytheory.au or bikinibabes.au or some bottom-of-the-web crappy website. The bottom-of-the-web crappy website then can show you the car ad at what appears to be an enormous discount. But the advertiser, of course, doesn't know what the discount was. They don't necessarily know where the ad ended up. Um, and the person who's making out like a bandit is the ad tech intermediary because they can charge whatever they want, provided they give some form of discount. Now, what that does is it means the high-end uh, the high-end legit publisher who invests in investigative work to make sure politics is clean or something like that, that publisher can no longer charge the same amount tomorrow as it charged today for your attention. They are no longer the only place where one can buy your attention. So that's a problem. But it also creates a business model for the bottom of the web, for conspiracytheory.au. And those guys can arbitrage the legitimate publisher's audience. That's a problem. It's feeding the bottom of the web. It's creating a business model for that stuff. And it's a cancer feasting on the decaying body of the legitimate media. It's a huge issue. A second issue is... Let's imagine it's not Paul who went to the dailybugle.au and saw car ads. Let's imagine it's a piece of software masquerading as Paul, which is operating on a smartphone on a rack in a warehouse somewhere. And the smartphone uh, bot is told, go to legitimate publisher A, B, and C and build up a profile as an expensive auto intender and then go to our client, uh, criminalwebsite.au and we, wanna, we want you to go there and we're, we're going to have a bunch of advertisers chasing you there. And we're going to make a whole lot of advertising money and diverting real, you know, dollars out of the pockets of, new, of advertisers and away from entertainment and news producers and into the hands of criminals. Now, those issues are separate to the data protection and privacy issues, but they are a symptom. And let me just... Um, add a final bit to this very long answer. Here's the really dystopian part. 
When you have a system that is hemorrhaging, intentionally hemorrhaging data about what all of us are watching, reading and listening to, that means that all of us, everyone who you've ever met, everyone you could ever know, almost certainly has been profiled or could be profiled by unknown parties. And when I say profiled, we're talking about location over time and reading behavior over time. Now, that means potentially a few things. The next time you try to buy an airline ticket, imagine a future in which you try to buy an airline ticket. But the next time you do that, will you be charged more than me? Possibly, and it might be driven by this. The next time you go for medical insurance or a mortgage, maybe these things come into play. And when we start to get concerned about, um, particularly here in Ireland, foreign money coming into our elections and using micro-targeting, you know, that's a real concern. We had a big referendum quite recently uh, on marriage equality, which is often referred to as the gay marriage referendum. Lots of money came in, totally untraceable. We didn't know what to do about it. And it was aimed at people, literally at people. <laughs> and how did that happen? It's because profiles about what made those people tick was available to these mysterious actors. And where do those data come from? A lot of them come from real-time bidding. Interesting. I want to get um, I want to get back to the taxonomy, the, the the IAB's taxonomy. But before I do, do people care, Johnny? Is the question. So up front in the intro, we talked about personalization and privacy, the trade-off. People say they don't want it, but their behaviour is very different. So why does this matter? If the people don't actually care, if you, I mean, look, if the, if you're in Facebook, you give away everything. So are you barking up a tree here that's that the, the, the people don't actually give too much of uh, uh, are not too concerned about? Often that is called the privacy paradox. Mm. You say you care about privacy, but you don't act as though you do. Um, I heard a, a good researcher, Alessandro Quisti, recently talk about the paradox of the privacy paradox. Right. In our daily lives, people constantly reveal uh, privacy preferences. Uh, the most basic one is that you wear clothing, <laughs> but it, it gets more elaborate from there on. And you can see it in the sales of Apple phones, for example. So it does appear that people care. But in the jurisdiction where we're, li where we're litigating, it doesn't matter, actually. It doesn't matter, yeah, right. It's about the law. The individual is, is not relied on to care. You're, you don't have to waste your time caring. Now, before I get into why, I just want to talk a little bit about how people behave. I don't know if you have a pension. I don't know if you have health insurance. Many people listening to this will remember a time, even if they have these things now, when they didn't and they didn't give a damn. <laughs> As you get older, you care. But of course, it's cheaper to start these things when you're younger. Any behavioral economist will tell you that people put off pension decisions until very often it's almost too late. Even though their parents are telling them, start your pension now. When these things don't have an immediate consequence for you, you ignore them. Now... Onto the law, right? Let's talk about data protection and where it comes from. In the, oh, I think it's the 1870s. Uh, I, I, think, I think this is the case. Um, certainly, um, historically, it's accurate to say that uh, a very, very large number of Huguenots were slaughtered in their beds one night in Paris. Was, this was a, a famous moment. This um, annihilation of the Parisian Huguenot population, near annihilation, was facilitated by knowing where these people lived. 
And how did people know where the Huguenots lived? The tax roll. Right. Think about that. <laughs> and the issue wasn't, you know, the government knowing about us. The issue is anyone who wanted to kill Huguenots had a place where they could go to look. Could have been the government, could have been someone else. Another example, uh, I remember Pat Walsh um, gave me this one and it, it really stuck with me. Interpol was set up uh, in the years after World War I and started to try to coordinate policing activity and had some files about undesirables and criminals. And it, it went about its work. And then Anschluss happened and the Nazis took over Interpol's files because Interpol was in Vienna. <laughs> so right. it doesn't matter what you think might happen to the data. I'm well-meaning, I'm Interpol. Uh, I'm well-meaning, I'm, I'm the revenue service. It doesn't matter. It's the unforeseeable thing that is often the challenge. When uh, data brokers um, inferred that people were Muslim based on uh, their, their shopping habits, you know, for what food they bought or their viewing habits or their locations near mosques, um, maybe this was intended to help people sell products to Muslims. But it still meant that when Donald Trump was coming into office, he said he was going to build a Muslim list. And Amnesty International went and bought Muslim lists to show this guy doesn't actually need to build a state apparatus to create a Muslim list. You can buy them on the market in the United States today. Right. So your average Muslim does not need to be paranoid, does not need to stop going to the mosque or change their buying behavior. What needs to happen is that well-intentioned proactive adversarial enforcers protect that person, protect the Huguenot, protect the ne'er-do-well who's on the, the registry uh, of Interpol, protect the Muslim in the United States. It doesn't matter if you care. So let me, let me ask you this, Johnny. So we get back to exactly the sort of profiling you're talking about. The IB Tech Lab's audience taxonomy document has been updated um, and it's version 1.1 doesn't actually include specific mention of some of the more controversial subsets and things that you're talking about right now. So is there any version? Uh, so what do you make of that first up? They've changed it. Uh, why? Why is it altered? And secondly, is there any version of that taxonomy document that you think would be acceptable at all? Of the audience taxonomy? That's right. Okay, well, let's answer those things in turn. First, version one is still widely in use, right? So there's a huge problem. I know they've released version 1.1 and as of about a week ago, I think probably nudged by my litigation announcement on Wednesday, they've removed reference to version 1 on their website, but it's still what everyone's using. Version 1.1, in a way, you could regard as an, aggravate, uh, an aggravating piece of evidence. Our litigation not only takes issue with version 1, but also with the new version 1.1. It removes some of the dangerous categories, but not all. And... Um, as a sign of that, IEB Tech Lab has now added the letters SCD besides certain items in the new content taxonomy. SCD is shorthand for special category data that comes from Article 9 of the GDPR. Special category data are any data that could reveal your ethnicity, your politics, your sexual orientation, blah, 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 anything interesting. So SCD is, is their rather uh, characteristically reckless and limited uh, view of what might be special category data. Most of the document probably is special category data. 
The fact that they have removed a few things that they think um, uh, look a, uh, particularly bad, I mean, that's maybe a step in the right direction. But then they've included a large number of other things and they've acknowledged in the document that these things are special category data. <laughs> so they, they can't claim that they don't know. All that version right. 1.1 does is it basically makes clear that even they are aware of this basic element of data protection law, which is they're, they're not good at data protection law, but at least they've learned that lesson, that they are infringing this particular bit of it. Is the reversion of the audience taxonomy that might be lawful? I have no idea. Well, uh, well, let me reframe the question. Is it possible to target people with ads, target people with ads under GDPR? So how far can targeting go under GDPR is the question. That's not really a question that's my job to answer, but I will answer it because it used to be my job to answer. Right. So when I was at PageFair, we looked at the GDPR and we realized everything that we were doing was not only unlawful, um, but would soon be subject to very serious sanctions. And so we created a kind of a, a catalytic converter <laughs> for the for the old Detroit, you know, dirty hydrocarbon, petrol, diesel uh, ad tech industry. We called it Perimeter. And what we said was, okay, this is a pro- this is a, a product for publishers, and it will strip from your page all third-party collection of data, and it will remove all personal data from bid requests. I think we included things like granular timestamps as well, right? So all personal data, no way to link uh, one bid request with another bid request. Zero way to do that. Um, No one was, I mean, we had lots of conversations with very, very big brands, but ultimately uh, everyone went with the IAB's uh, nonsense kind of uh, compliance theater called uh, the Transparency and Consent Framework, which is something that, that, that we're taking action against in Belgium, as it happens. Um, so, so that's one route. You could, I think, have a form of real-time bidding where you are using non-personal data in your bid requests. Non-personal data are any data that cannot be used on their own or in combination with other data to single a person out. Now, let's think about what that might mean. A person using a a high-end Apple device in South Dublin is reading about advertising regulation. Right, that's that's pretty useful information for an advertiser. Um, I think that could work. So that's option one. You can still broadcast data, but it's no longer personal data. And that aligns then to GDPR. That's allowable under GDPR, right, Johnny, That what you're talking about there, whereas the personal data broadcast is not. I would suggest that it is because you're only using non-personal data. Right. If you're using non-personal data, it's outside the scope of the GDPR. The GDPR does not regulate non-personal data. Right. The, the real hazard then is to get mathematicians and computer scientists together to make certain that the data are indeed unlinkable and are non-personal. So that's, 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 I think, option one. Option two is what we were doing when I was at Brave. Option two is if the person says, okay, I can live with this because you're, you're, you know, uh, you've made it make sense for me. You say, okay, I'm going to take your device and I'm going to um, build a profile about you on your device and you're in control of that profile. 
No one else gets to see the profile. No one else touches it. And you can prune and change that profile whenever you want. You can delete it immediately. It's totally visible to you. And it will be, in a sense, like your personal secretary going through your spam folder and deciding which offers to show you at what time. So imagine, imagine a situation where every 11 o'clock smoke break in the office, you go outside, you take your e-cigarette out and you read about the latest uh, Suzuki bikes or Yamaha bike or, or whatever it is. Um, and then the next day you're shown a little notification saying, hey, would you like a test drive of the latest Honda <laughs> bike at your office? If, if you say yes, you know, then you have to send them your address so that they can send it to you and your driver's license or whatever. So they've some, some hope of getting their bike back. But at that point, it's between you and the advertiser. Now, that system solves all of the data protection issues because everything is kept on your device. However, even that system, although it solves GDPR issues, raises another generation of problem. And that is, let's imagine that everyone is now using this 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 system that targets the ads based on what's happening at the edge, right? Everyone's device downloads a catalog of ads and the device decides which ad to show you. I could still say to that system, I don't want any Irish people to see this job offer. So you could have algorithmic discrimination. You wouldn't have a privacy crisis, but you could have a discrimination crisis if it weren't incredibly well managed and regulated. But that's a problem for our future. We'll be lucky to get to that problem and out of the problems we're in now. So what's the uh, the ultimate intent here from this lawsuit, Johnny? Is it to essentially create, uh, raise the profile of the issue and perhaps hit consumer confidence and get get people aware? Or do you be genuinely believe that this, this court case can change the face of the international ad tech industry? It's a, bit, it's, a, it's a very ambitious objective if that's it. Yeah, the latter. That has been my objective for several years now. Uh, I've gone about it the wrong way because I, I relied and trusted on the supervisory authorities to do their job. Um, we may or may not litigate against them for failing to do so also. Right. And we, we perhaps should talk about the GDPR and where it is at the moment uh, uh, in this conversation. The objective is to force this dirty, dirty industry to reform. The industry which I've worked in, which you've worked in, which everyone listening probably works in, is reckless, irresponsible and immature. It follows... Uh, short-term profit with no interest in long-term sustainability. It is exactly like the car industry. And if we're not going to see more Teslas appear, we are going to force change through the courts. And you're confident you can get there? Yes, this is not a complicated issue. In the European jurisdiction, in the European market, which is a very big one, we have an incredibly clear law. The point of law over which we're litigating is in the title of the law. General data protection regulation. You must not have a data breach. This industry has recklessly not just engineered this data breach, but continued it in the face of that law. One of the pieces of evidence is a document sent by IAB Europe to the European Commission in one of the stupidest pieces of lobbying ever seen. IAB Europe said to the European Commission privately, 
and I got this document using freedom of information. IB Europe said to the European Commission, hey, listen, <laughs> in programmatic advertising, it's impossible for us to get consent because we've no idea who's going to get the data ultimately. There's no control. So in the thing that comes after the GDPR, which is called the e-privacy regulation, would you please create some alternative to consent that we could rely on? Now, that's a shocking indictment. Mm. That letter is from 2017, and a year later, the person who wrote that letter launched the supposed consent system, the IAB consent system. But it appears they had said to the commission that they knew consent could not work because there was an enormous data breach. It is ridiculous to think that a person can consent to a data breach. Actually, by law, you can't ask for consent when you don't know what you're going to do with the data. <laughs> you have to know what's going to happen to the data before you ask for consent. So this suit is the final step in a long process. But I do wish I had launched it a few years ago and I had not wasted my time going to the enforcers. So what is the timing here, Johnny? I mean, if, if the timing of the suit, how long do you think before you get a decision come down from the courts? And secondly, then what happens? What does it do to the global advertising industry? I mean, it's probably a 200 billion, RTB's probably 200, 300 billion dollar uh, sector globally. It just goes. I mean, essentially, this will essentially, what, cut it at its knees? Is that what you're, what you're saying? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think there may be a bright future, but not for everyone. First, I fully expect this to go through several instances. I would be shocked if the Hamburg court um, did not uh, give us the ruling that we want and fully expect. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. In what time frame? We're talking about several years of litigation, mm -hmm. but the facts will be obvious and uncontestable, I think, 12 months from now. I mean, the facts are uncontestable now. But any, in, any industry player that has been hoping that it can scramble by and all of this nonsense about unified ID 2.0, blah, 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 all that stuff, Pram in the United States, this case, <laughs> this case is partly to say also to the ANA and the IAB and Venable, the law firm behind a lot of that nonsense in the US, this case is to say globally to the IAB and the other three-letter acronyms associated with it, don't bother. <laughs> you must change. You must change. This, this fight is obviously over, right? We've landed and taken Okinawa. Let's not fight you on the beaches of, <laughs> of Japan here. Give up. It's a battle royale, really. This is, I mean, it's, if, if everything you're saying is, 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 the is going The battle royale to... is over. The battle royale is over. This is saying, just so you know it's over, it's fully over, right? You, 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 had your, your, you had your fun. It's time now to reform. Yeah. What does that reform look like? Right? So, so, so this is making it inevitable, and it's, it's slower than I would like, but it's just so everyone understands where we're all inevitably getting to. What will things look like? As I said, option one is real-time bidding without personal data. Now, we've seen what that looks like. Right. There's an example in um, the Netherlands. Uh, the, the public broadcasting group there has an awful lot of different web presences. Uh, it's called NPO, and its sales house stir for 12 months until it went fully publicly funded, removed all of the third parties, and stopped doing all the bad stuff. 
and I've published their revenue data. Their revenue went up in month one, year on year, 55%. The revenues publisher went up. Right. And it was 72% the next month. Uh, this is from memory, but I've published this stuff uh, when I was at Brave. You, you'll find it publicly. The next month, COVID hit. They still <laughs> went up in revenue year on year in double digits. What's happening there is no more audience arbitrage, far less fraud. The publisher now can sell the publisher's own audience. Catastrophically bad news for the ad tech companies. I mean, uh, terrible. Great news for the advertiser, great news for the publisher. Implications for Google there too, which I'll get to too, Johnny. But one question is, why haven't the enforcers acted then under GDPR? What's, what, what, what's your read on that? My short answer is I don't know, um, but I have a longer answer. I, I published a study, broken in the New York Times about a year ago, about the state of supervisory authorities across the EU. Um, we looked at their budgets. We asked them another question about their staffing. How many people do you have? And also, how many of your people are specialists on technology? We weren't asking how many are the, the in-house tech guy who fixes your fax machine or how many are computer scientists. Whatever the person's background, how many focus on tech? Now, the answer across all of the EU was 305 people, right? That's nothing, nothing. A very thin red line facing tech companies split up in more than 40 agencies. Wow. Because some member states have more than one agency. If it's not about intent, it's about resource, Johnny. Well, there's probably several things. It's a, it's a configuration issue. They aren't configured for the digital age. The biggest enforcer is the UK ICO when it was in the EU. Full-time staff, they have 680 people. The budget is 62 million They're, you know, uh, euro. They're a big, big player. But they have eight, eight people who they call cyber investigators plus a vacancy. That's 1% of their staff. So they're, they're, they're just not at the races. They're playing the wrong game. Um, the other issue is uh, they don't have confidence. They don't have competence. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. They, they want to live an easy life. They want to go after the small fry. The big guys scare them. Um, now, uh, there are actually three layers of issue. One is the enforcers aren't doing their jobs. Second issue, the governments aren't forcing the enforcers to do their jobs. And there are legal complications there because of independence. Third issue, the European Commission is not taking action against governments whose enforcers don't do their jobs. And funnily enough, the European Commission has kind of walked away from the GDPR. They're not really taking it too seriously. And you can see the proof of that by the fact that the Commission gave the UK what's called an adequacy decision for a free flow of data between the EU, uh, the EU and the UK without imposing really any conditions on making the ICO the enforcer there fit for purpose. So there's a huge political problem, but that doesn't apply at the courts. And that's why we're cutting through all this nonsense finally after three years and we're, we're going to litigate. Let me get back to very quickly, because I, um, I know you've got um, big things to do, but the point you said about the ad tech industry and the implications that are coming at it and Google, because uh, I'm interested in your take on that, because obviously Google um, has control of the single biggest open exchange trading exchange, online digital advertising exchange in the world. And what what becomes there for, for a, a big ship like Google? I guess two things. A big question is, if you close down the external data free-for-all with thousands of companies in which Google is the biggest player, 
Google then can come in and gobble up the entire industry. It can envelop it and say, we will be the single supply side platform and the single demand side platform. We'll take this huge data breach and we'll gobble it up inside our company and solve the, the security issue. Now that could be a Google play. They could say every advertiser, every publisher come to Google and we'll make it all safe. Don't worry about the regulator. It's now inside Google, so there's no external data breach. However, there's another principle of the GDPR and I'm working on litigation on this too. It's called purpose limitation. And what it basically means is you can't have an internal data free for all. So we need to stop the external data free for all and we need to stop the internal data free for all inside these big companies. Now, let me say a little bit more about purpose limitation. It's a really self-evident idea that goes back to the 70s, it came out of the United States in the 70s. Here's the idea. If I give you my data for one particular reason, you can't go and use it for some totally different thing that I wouldn't expect unless you've some lawful way of doing so. Now today, Google and Facebook, they just take data out of one area of business to prop up other areas of business too, and they cascade their monopolies. This is what you saw me talking to the, the US Senate Judiciary Committee about some years ago. This is a huge competition issue, what they do internally, and they have to be stopped. We're working on that too. But there are two sides. Funnily enough, what isn't a competition issue <laughs> is what ad tech companies who aren't Google or Apple are currently complaining about. They're moaning and saying, oh, those guys are turning off the, the, the tap of illegal data to us in our data free for all. That actually isn't a competition issue. And, and here's why. That's like the back alley surgeon moaning that they're supposed to keep their instruments sterile. <laughs> oh, boo-hoo-hoo, -hoo. those guys have gone and set up clinics with, with electric lighting and sterile, sterile instruments, and they've made it impossible for us to continue to hack people's limbs off with bloody saws. Tough shit. We're moving to a new clean age. Get with the program. It's time for industry to become a clean one. Um, but there is a competition issue, and that competition issue needs to be remedied with rigorous, robust enforcement of data protection law on the external data free-for-all and the internal data free-for-all too. Yes, okay. So basically your objective is no less than the entire the end of the entire ad tech, global ad tech industry. What do you want to replace it with? What would you... Yeah, no, I... I, I well, it would sound like a great headline, Johnny. Well, it, it, great headlines are often not true. <laughs> so it's... That, that's not what I'm going for, Paul. I want to compel an irresponsible, dirty industry to become a clean, safe industry. There is a type of data that is safe. It is time for us to move to safe data. It's the same transition that the automotive industry has had to make. The automotive industry never had to pay attention to the costs that it created, to the negative externalities, is what a, a climate economist would refer to, to the costs of its pollution. Final thought is Apple. Your take on Apple and its privacy push, Johnny. What do you make of that? I think it's very positive. Um, Apple has questions to answer about its own use of data for its ad products. It needs to be really clear about that. But I think it's very positive that Apple is making a very strong brand push on privacy. And it's positive that Google is doing that too. But the substance in both cases needs to be very robustly scrutinized. 
Dr Johnny Ryan, I know you've got to go. We will no doubt have to come back and get a whole bunch of other questions at you because I'm sure we're going to hear from our side of the industry and I would love to put that to you. So thanks for joining. Stay safe and um, we will we will uh, come back and loop around. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.